We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 400 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, September 15th, 2022. And yes, we have arrived at episode 400 of the podcast. You know, 400 is a magical number in sports, right? 400 passing yards for a quarterback in a football game. A 400 batting average for a baseball player in a season. 400 episodes of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, that is a credit to you. That is a testament to you because without you, there is no me, okay? It's actually quite simple. Without you, there is no me, and I do mean that. Uh, I had no idea what to expect when I started this podcast in February 2021. I am very pleased with and very proud of what the podcast has become. It can always be better, okay? And I'm constantly thinking about ways for it to be better. And I'm always open to suggestions from you on how the pod can be better. But the audience continues to grow despite the podcast being a grassroots operation. You know, the movement continues. The revolution continues. And here we are a year and a half into our adventure, episode number 400. And so thank you to you for listening, for downloading for subscribing, uh, for rating and reviewing, for telling others about the podcast. All of that is so appreciated. Uh, Thank you to all of our great sponsors, uh, the law firm of Paulson & Nace, Dr. George Verghese, Weedman, uh, real estate agent Kellen Hunt, Dr. Matthew Mintz, uh, Trade Coffee, HelloFresh, and others. And I tell you what, let's see if we can make it for at least another 400 episodes. Now, I can't promise anything, okay? Uh, One show at a time, one episode at a time, like the Commanders, right? One game at a time. Uh, Speaking of the Commanders, I have a lot of Commanders conversation for you on this special episode 400 Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, They, on Wednesday, began practicing for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Detroit Lions at 1. We had post-practice press conferences on Wednesday for head coach Ron Rivera 
and quarterback Carson Wentz, and we have a lot to go through. Uh, Next segment, updates on a variety of key injury situations for the Commanders, including running back Brian Robinson Jr., safety Cameron Curl, and interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen. Uh, Also hit on some key numbers regarding the Commanders' pass rush in the 28-22 regular season opening win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. And we'll explore something that is on the line for the Commanders at the Lions this Sunday afternoon, a 2-0 start. What would be Washington's first 2-0 start in a regular season since 2011, if you can believe that. Uh, And then the segment after that, I'm going to talk a whole lot about Carson Wentz and the Commanders passing offense, including this. Are the 2022 Commanders a true, real-life, high-octane passing offense team? Every good NFL offense has an identity, right? We're only one game into the Commanders' 2022 regular season, so obviously a lot can change. But there already are indications that the identity of the 2022 Commanders' offense is a true, real-life, high-octane, passing offense team. I have been yearning for years for Washington to have an offense that is a true, high-octane, passing offense. Do we finally have such an offense? Uh, Also on the show, we'll talk Nationals versus Orioles. The O's on Wednesday night completed a two-game sweep at the Nats with a 6-2 win, despite another good start for Patrick Corbin, uh, but also in the game, more greatness from Orioles stud rookie infielder Gunnar Henderson and the Orioles' bullpen. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from one of the legal experts of the Al Galdi podcast, Neil Mullen. Uh, he is an adjunct professor at George Mason's Law School, the Antonin Scalia Law School. He has a lawyer practice labor and employment law for three plus decades. So I've had Neil on the podcast multiple times to discuss the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, but writes Neil regarding the actual football for our commanders. Three things in the win over the Jaguars on the offensive side that stood out to me. Number one, Scott Turner did a masterful job with pre-snap movement and scheming guys open. Distributing the ball to multiple weapons makes this team a problem on offense. Number two, Knock number one on Carson Wentz coming into the season was his mental fragility and his unwillingness to accept responsibility for his mistakes. After two hideous interceptions, caricature Carson would have sulked and pointed fingers. Instead, the guy goes out and wins himself a game by playing lights out late. Has he altered his worldview or are we polluted with what Jim Ursay has had to say or is it too early to say who the guy is. Number three, knock number two on Carson Wentz was his inability slash unwillingness to take the underneath play and let his playmakers do their thing. Hero ball. I saw zero of that on Sunday. He hit Curtis Samuel, J.D. McKissick, and Antonio Gibson underneath and let them yak it up all game, then bombing when necessary slash available. Impressive. One last thing. Few are more devoted to Al Galdi real talk about stats than me, but what are we doing talking endlessly about Antonio Gibson's six fumbles last year as if raw totals are the best approach? Dude was 21st in fumbles per touch among running backs. 21st. 
Sure, putting the ball on the ground is never a good thing, and it would be great to see him take better care of the ball, but this wasn't close to the main issue with AG's performance last year. Need that real talk, Al. (laughs) Thank you for the email, Neil. I love it, man. I love it. Uh, So to Neil's point about Carson Wentz perhaps having grown up a bit, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it is too early to tell, but as I have said, my hope is that the commanders have an awakened Carson Wentz, a Carson Wentz who has learned from whatever mistakes that he has made in the past. I do think that that's very possible, and I do think that we have a growing mountain of evidence to suggest that the commanders do have an awakened Carson Wentz, an improved Carson Wentz. Uh, To Neil's point about Carson Wentz in the win over the Jags, willingly and successfully taking the underneath stuff. uh, Yeah, that was something that I talked about with our special guest on Wednesday show, episode 399, Commanders Analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, Definitely check out our conversation if you haven't yet done so. Uh, As for Antonio Gibson in the 2021 regular season, having led all NFL running backs in fumbles uh, with six, yes, his fumbling problem doesn't look as bad if you go uh, fumbles per touch or fumbles per carry. And generally speaking, it is much better to go with rate stats than with counting stats. But the guy did have a fumbling problem last season. Like, you really can't dispute that and that he then fumbled in the first quarter of the commander's first preseason game this year was like the ultimate exclamation mark on the fumbling problem. Uh, But yeah, fumbles per touch and fumbles per carry are certainly worth considering. I mean, it's interesting. Gibson in the 2021 regular season, six fumbles on 258 carries. That's one fumble every 43 carries. Buffalo Bills running back Devin Singletary in the 2021 regular season, five fumbles on just 188 carries. That's one fumble every 37.6 carries. That's worse than Gibson's one fumble every 43 carries. But like I said, Antonio Gibson did have a major fumbling problem last season. I think that even Gibson would tell you that. Email from Eric from Weedman. Uh, Eric has been going to Redskins slash Washington football team slash Commanders games for years. He was at the win over the Jags at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. Writes Eric, the crowd was really energized at the stadium on Sunday. Again, lots of younger folks and Commanders merch. I love the band, but it is a work in progress. The team needs to do something about the fight song. The team does not show the words on the Jumbotron. You cannot hear any music and people are confused. The offense looked as good as the Kirk Cousins, Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson, Jordan Reed days. Energy and organization on the sideline are apparent. This is a team. I realize that you are not a Star Wars geek. With all the movies and malarkey, it can be a challenge to wrap your head around. Uh, I feel the same way about Game of Thrones. However, there is a Star Wars show on the Disney Channel called The Mandalorian. I would encourage you to watch the final episode of the first season. It is an astonishing piece of sci-fi work that stands alone and gives you a solid glimpse of what this character, the Mandalorian, is about. The catchphrase is, this is the way. Al, this is the way. I can see quotes like, the defense must get off the field on third downs. This is the way. Uh, Thank you for the email, Eric. Uh, You know, Eric has suggested Mandos as a potential nickname for the Commanders. If Mandos as a nickname for the Commanders catches on, then that certainly can be the mantra. This is the way. The defense must get off the field on third downs. This is the way. Carson Wentz throwing four touchdown passes. This is the way is the way. And if your lawn isn't looking so good, Weedman is the way. Uh, Weedman, it cares for your lawn. 
so that you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price in aeration and two-fall fertilization services for just $219. Uh, that's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall, so take advantage of this special offer and put Weedman to work for you. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Uh, Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says that it's going to do. And all of that sounds simple, I know, and all of that is simple, but all of that isn't nearly as common as it should be. Uh, also, Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil. Uh, Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Uh, Weedman does not cut corners, and Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. If you're not satisfied with your lawn, if you're not satisfied with who is treating your lawn, get with Weedman and take advantage of this special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price in aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Again, about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the special deal. Uh, you could also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. The Commanders on Wednesday begin their practice week for their second game of the 2022 NFL regular season. The 1-0 Commanders will be at the 0-1 Detroit Lions this Sunday afternoon at 1. Before we get to the Commanders injury report from Wednesday, great to see running back Brian Robinson Jr. on Wednesday outside with the team riding an exercise bike. Never before has someone riding an exercise bike been so well received. Robinson does remain on the reserve non-football injury or illness list. The commanders put him on that on September 1st, meaning that he'll miss at least the team's first four regular season games. But just seeing him out there on Wednesday was a welcome sight. Uh, his right knee was wrapped up. His uh, recovery from being shot multiple times does continue. Uh, Robinson, of course, was shot in a leg and a hip in an incident in Washington, D.C., on August 28th. By the way, have you heard or read anything about the two guys responsible for Robinson being shot, being arrested? Uh, I have not. Maybe I've missed something. You tell me if you've seen or heard something. Uh, but this was Commander's head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on Brian Robinson Jr. It was good to see him out there. You know, he's, uh, he's progressing very well. You know, each week, he, he, you know, he gets to see the doctors and the trainers, and they felt now is a good time to see you know, how he does outside. So we'll see how he reacts to everything tomorrow morning. All right. Uh, only one player on the commander's 53-man roster did not practice at all on Wednesday. Uh, that player was guard Wes Schweitzer. Uh, Schweitzer in the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon was the commander's starting right guard over Trey Turner, but Schweitzer dealt with a left hamstring injury during the game. And so Turner ended up playing on 68% 
of the commander's offensive snaps, and Schweitzer ended up playing on just a 26% of the commander's offensive snaps. It's still not clear whether Schweitzer started over Turner due to injury or readiness or performance. Uh, Turner dealt with a quadriceps injury for weeks. Uh, He also was seen with a splint on one of the fingers on his left hand in the day's Leading up to the game, uh, Turner was listed as having been a limited participant in practice on Wednesday due to that quad. Uh, Three other Commanders players were listed as having been limited participants in practice on Wednesday. Among those players, safety Cameron Curl. Uh, Curl, for the win over the Jags, was inactive due to a right thumb injury that he suffered in the 24-14 preseason loss at the Kansas City Chiefs on August 20th. Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on what it would mean for the commanders to have Cam Curl back for Sunday at the Lions. Well, I think, you know, with him, there's a little bit more of a, of a, of a DB presence near the box. You know, I, I, again, I, I know Defoe did a great job and, and he did the things tremendously well and the things that we asked him to do, he did very well. But with Cam, there is a, you know, there is a, uh, um, a bigger presence. I mean, he's, you know, his stature and, and his size and then his impact as a player. Um, but again, take nothing away from what Defoe did. I mean, that was, that was a tremendous performance and he made an impact in the game. Yeah, Defoe, uh, safety Derek Forrest, was tremendous in that win over the Jags. He played on 96% of the commander's defensive snaps. He had an interception, another pass defense, and a forced fumble and was tied for number two on the commander's with five tackles. He earned the highest overall grade for Pro Football Focus of any Commanders player in the game, 91.5. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. In fact, Derek Forrest's 91.5 overall PFF grade was the highest overall PFF grade of an NFL safety in week one. Not bad, <laughs> okay? Not bad. I mean, think about this. Washington took Cam Curl in the seventh round of the 2020 NFL Draft out of Arkansas, and he has proven to be a really nice find for the team. Washington took Derek Forrest in the fifth round of the 2021 Draft out of Cincinnati, and he this past Sunday afternoon stepped into the commander's starting lineup and played really well. This is a sign of good player personnel, that your surprisingly successful 2020 seventh round pick was adequately replaced by a surprisingly successful 2021 fifth round pick, you know? One surprisingly successful day three pick was adequately replaced by another surprisingly successful day three pick. Uh, Also listed as having been a limited participant in practice on Wednesday was interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen. Uh, He and the win over the Jags suffered a groin injury late in the fourth quarter. Now, the commanders in that win over the Jags uh, did lose interior Defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis for the rest of the season. Uh, they on Monday afternoon placed him on the reserve injured list due to a left knee injury, which has been reported as a torn left meniscus. And so the commanders in recent days have signed two interior defensive linemen. On Monday afternoon, as the corresponding roster moved to placing Mathis on injured reserve, signed unrestricted free agent Donovan Jeter to the 53-man roster. And the commanders on Tuesday afternoon announced the signing of Benning Potoai to the practice squad. Here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on why the commanders signed Donovan Jeter, who, by the way, is listed by the commanders as being 6'3 and 325 pounds. Big, stout, physical young man, um, more so than anything else. We got a chance to watch him, um, and I'm going to mess up his name, but we also watch uh, Benning Poalo. 
something like that. I apologize to Benning, but we got a chance to watch Benning. We both like their we like their tape a lot. Um, right now, with our situation, we we went, we opted to, to sign the bigger guy, a bigger body, um, space eater up inside. Um, very active as a player. I like his first step quickness, his ability to get into the crease and hold the point. He holds doubles pretty well. So he's going to be a little bit of a space here and allow those guys behind him or the guys next to him to, to work and make some plays because big guys like that with quickness, you know, command a little bit more attention inside. Well, you just knew <laughs> that our guy, Ron Rivera, was going to have like no chance with that last name of Benning Potoai. Uh, Ron's had a hard enough time with edge defender Bumi Rotimi's name. You can forget about Benning Potoai. Uh, now, Donovan Jeter, easier name to say, uh, he this past April was signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers as an undrafted free agent out of Michigan. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on whether it would be difficult for Donovan Jeter to be ready and available for Sunday at the Lions of having just been signed by the Commanders on Monday. Um, well, you know, you haven't gone through camp uh, with, with the Steelers and 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 playing as well as he did, you know, we just felt this is a young man that, you know, we will give a shot and see. And and he's a bright young man. He's, he's done a nice job so far. He's, you know, he's only been in the playbook for two days, but, you know, he got an opportunity to rotate in and out. In fact, we re-rotated Benning in and out as well. Um, so both those guys got a lot of snaps today. And I'm anxious to watch him on tape. Okay. Uh, while we're talking commander's defense, uh, so the commanders in week one were number two in the NFL in ESPN's pass rush win rate at 58%. Uh, that is outstanding. Number two in the NFL. The commanders in the win over the Jags only had two sacks, but the commanders also had 10 quarterback hits. Uh, the commanders did blitz a good amount last Sunday afternoon. Uh, they, per sport radar, had a blitz percentage of 467 uh, that was the fourth highest blitz percentage in the NFL in week one. Blitz percentage is simply blitzes divided by dropbacks by the opposing team. We certainly saw the blitz of the commanders in the win over the Jags pay off. Uh, Jaguar's second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt fourth snap of the drive corner. Benjamin St. Juice came in unblocked on a blitz and smashed quarterback Trevor Lawrence, forcing him to commit a first and 10, 10-yard intentional grounding penalty. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on whether increased blitzing for the defense was something that Ron and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio wanted to do this season. Well, I think that's something that, you know, as we, we evaluate who we are and what we do, you know, we have some guys that we think are very good blitzers. We think Jamin's a good blitzer. We think, you know, Bobby McCain's a, a good blitzer. We, we like who Benjamin St. Just is in terms of uh, blitzing. And so, you know, you have guys that, that, that are quick and, and, and understand. Um, you want to use those guys, and, and it does help the D-line because now, you know, if you blitz and you blitz early in a game, now they don't know what to expect. You know, they they, they got to anticipate a little bit more. Maybe it changes the way they look at things, certain formations in terms of how we line up might give them a thought that, oh, here comes something, and we don't do it. Yeah, for what it's worth, the commanders for the 2021 regular season were seventh in the NFL in highest blitz percentage at 31%. Again, the Commanders in the win over the Jags had a blitz percentage of 46.7%, appreciably higher than that 31% mark of last season. Uh, I mentioned Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on how the Juice performed on Sunday afternoon as the Commanders' primary nickel corner. I thought he handled it pretty well. You know, there were some things that uh, Jacksonville did we weren't prepared for, and I think it, um, you know, they, 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 they caught us with something that, that was different, uh, a little new, and, and so it, it, it kind of put us in a tough spot. 
And, um, you know, we got out of it, and I thought he handled that pretty well. And, and that was good. It was really good to see him back out there and playing to his ability. I mean, the guy's got a tremendous skill set. He's got good size, and he can run. And, um, you know, I think he's only going to get better at that position and, and really be an asset for what we want to do on defense. All right. And then also listed as having been a limited participant in commander's practice on Wednesday was linebacker Jamin Davis for personal reasons. And then the only other player on the commander's injury report on Wednesday was tight end Cole Turner. Uh, He was listed as having been a full participant in practice. Uh, Turner for the win over the Jags was inactive due to a hamstring ailment, but him not being active this past Sunday seemed to be more about conditioning and readiness as opposed to the injury still being an issue. And so uh, we may well see the regular season debut of Cole Turner this Sunday at the Lions. Uh, For the Lions, by the way, multiple key players did not practice on Wednesday. Running back DeAndre Swift did not practice due to an ankle. Left tackle Taylor Decker did not practice due to a calf. Center Frank Ragnow did not practice due to groin and foot ailments. And defensive lineman Michael Brockers did not practice due to a knee. This game at the Lions is a major opportunity for the Commanders. Uh, Washington, believe it or not, has not gotten off to a 2-0 start in a regular season since 2011. Yeah, as modest as a 2-0 start is, Washington hasn't had one since the 2011 season. The 2011 season was Mike Shanahan's second season as Redskins executive vice president slash head coach. The 2011 season was the season in which the Skins had Rex Grossman and John Beck as a team starting quarterbacks. 11 years ago, that was the last time that Washington got off to a 2-0 start in a regular season. And again, it's not like a 2-0 start is some monumental achievement. Uh, Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on what it would mean for the commanders to get off to a 2 and 0 start. Well, yeah, it'd be nice to to continue to play well and um, you know, and get some enthusiasm and continue to build that enthusiasm and 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 continue to get fans back in the seats. I think that would be tremendous. I mean, um, you know, hopefully they they felt it, the fans that were there, they felt it on Sunday and and, and understand just, you know, how the players feed off it. That'd be great. For us, it's really about keeping the momentum, you know, and 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 what that does is it it puts us in the position that, you know, um, you know, I don't want to get ahead of us, but it it puts us in the position at the next game, you know, we 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 go into it with momentum. Yeah, and what I think that Ron Rivera was getting at right there is this. If the Commanders win at the Lions this Sunday afternoon to get to 2-0, and the environment at FedEx Field for the Commanders' first NFC East game this season, the home game against the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 3, could be, as we like to say, fire, okay? I mean, given that Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott now is out for multiple weeks with his right thumb injury, you very much could argue that the Eagles are the favorite to win the NFC East. How juicy would that week three game against the Eagles at FedEx Field be with the commanders going into the game two and oh? Now, the game is going to be juicy even if the commanders are one and one, but the juice will be especially flowing if the commanders go into that game two and oh. But we're not there yet, okay? A lot of work to do. Uh, well, nobody will do better work for you if you want to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area than Kellen Hunt will. Housing prices are falling. That means that now is the time to buy. Get with Kellen Hunt 
as your real estate agent. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's CloseItWithKel, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You may be wondering, hey, is now a good time to buy a home given what has been happening with mortgage rates? Uh, the answer is yes. The rates are sidelining buyers causing high-level inventory, the likes of which we have not seen in years, this presents a huge opportunity for buyers. Uh, think of it like a contrarian approach in sports betting or in analytics. When everyone else is zigging, you should be zagging. Uh, with so many other buyers sidelined, that is causing a major rise in inventory and a major reduction in prices, and so you should be buying Kellen Hunt understands all of this. He gets that now is the time to pounce. So, pounce. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. His website says it all. Close it with Kellen Kel Hunt is a closer. Kellen Hunt will close you buying the home that you want. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer get a piece of the action. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, the name to know is Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. And make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit CloseItWithKell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. More now on the commanders of them on Wednesday, beginning their practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Detroit Lions at one. The nature of the commander's regular season opening 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon is what I think sticks with a lot of people. I know that that nature sticks with me. The win over the Jags was a game in which the commanders did a lot of things that we're not used to Washington teams doing. Uh, the win over the Jags was a game in which the Commanders got out to an early lead. Uh, the Commanders led in the second quarter 14-3. The win over the Jags was a game in which the Commanders quarterback threw four touchdown passes and threw for 313 yards. Carson Wentz on Sunday afternoon became the first Washington quarterback to have at least four touchdown passes and to throw for at least 300 yards in a game since Kirk Cousins in December 2015. Uh, the win over the Jags was a game in which the Commanders rallied. Uh, they overcame a 22-14 fourth quarter deficit. Head coach Ron Rivera, during his uh, post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on whether or how the Commanders won last Sunday afternoon is how he believes that the Commanders this season will win games or whether each game is its own thing and each victory comes in its own way. Um, you do win however you win, um, but you know, ideally, if you, if you get off to a good lead, you want to maintain that throughout the game. But if if for whatever reason you know the, the score gets close or, or they take the lead, 
you know, to be able to show the resilience um, and and the confidence to continue to, to to play hard and get yourself back into it. I mean, one of the things that I really appreciate is that I, at no point did I ever feel when 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 Jacksonville took the lead that our guys were go. Oh, here we go again. That, you know, that's that that's a nightmare. And 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 that was something I thought that that we're, we've gotten past. At least it felt like it to me on the sideline, you know. And and what I and I and I told a little story about what Carson said to me when I told him. I said, "Hey, you know, you get past it. You're going to have to win it." And he said, "I well, you know, I, I that that attitude, that that confidence is. I, I thought it was good, and I think it permeated throughout the rest of the guys." Well, make no mistake, the Commanders on Sunday afternoon won via their passing game. Carson Wentz went 27-41 for 313 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions. Every Commanders touchdown in the game was a touchdown pass, and the four touchdown passes were to the Commanders' top three receivers, right? Terry McLaurin had a touchdown reception. Curtis Samuel had a touchdown reception. Jahan Dodson, in his first career NFL regular season game, had two touchdown receptions. Only two quarterbacks in the NFL in week one each had at least four touchdown passes and threw for at least 300 yards. Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs and Carson Wentz of the Commanders. I mean, think about that. Uh, The Commanders for week one were number eight in the NFL in passing offense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. You get the idea. The Commanders passing game in the win over the Jags was a strength. The Commanders passing game in the win over the Jags, led the way. And how about the play calling? Offensive coordinator Scott Turner called a terrific game. We've talked about that. But the other thing with Scott on Sunday afternoon was that he called an unapologetically aggressive game. The commanders in the game totaled 67 true offensive plays. I'm taking out the three Carson Wentz kneel downs. 45 of the 67 true offensive plays were passing plays. 45 at a 67. You had 41 Carson Wentz pass attempts. You had one sack at Carson Wentz. You had three scrambles by Carson Wentz. 67.2% of the commander's true offensive plays were passing plays. Could it be, might it be, that the commanders this season have a passing offense that is good enough to lead the way to a winning season slash playoff season. Well, the team certainly seems to have its best cast of offensive weapons in years. Uh, receivers Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dodson, Cam Sims, Deami Brown, and Dax Milne. Uh, tight ends Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner, and Armani Rogers. Uh, running backs Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jonathan Williams. I'm not saying that all of these guys are great, but the commanders have viable options. A lot of viable options at the skill positions. The commanders seem to have a depth at the skill positions, the likes of which Washington has not had in quite some time. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on the commander's group of skill position players. It's a talented group. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I've said that since I got here. I've said that um, throughout OTAs, this this training camp, then, you know, getting Terry out there again. Um, 
and then just seeing it on live in action on Sunday, um, it's very talented. And and I think the way they're also versatile, um, especially when we're talking the receivers, and you know you can mix and match. You, you see guys, um, you know they can all push the ball down the field and, and you know create separation down the field. They can all catch the ball underneath and make guys miss. And um, then you add our, our running backs and the ability. Obviously, you saw AG out of the backfield and what he can do. Um, JD with you know checkdowns and, and the way he can um, create yards out of nothing as well. Um, tight ends do a tremendous job as well so um, it's definitely a dynamic group explosive uh, group of playmakers that that definitely make my life easy and I think I noticed that week one now you heard Carson Wentz reference AG Uh, no he did not mean Al Galdi he meant running back Antonio Gibson Uh, Gibson in the win over the Jags a very nice game he played on 64 percent of the commander's offensive snaps 14 carries for 58 yards that works out to 4.14 yards per carry and seven receptions for 72 yards on eight targets. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on what makes Antonio Gibson so effective in space. Yeah, I mean he's big. Yeah, uh, he's big, strong, physical guy, but but he's fast. I think around the perimeter, uh, I think he guys you know don't realize how quick he is and how fast he is and how how quick he can turn it on um, out in space. So um, obviously he's an exceptional athlete. Um, catches the ball extremely well. I think that makes it hard for for people to defend him. B- between the tackles, he runs hard. Um, but I think just the 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 versatility he shows, being able to be split out, or you saw that corner catch he had down the field, go up on the sideline, keep two feet in that's just who he is that's the playmaker he is and I thought he did a tremendous job showing up um, continually over and over and he's done it all camp and I know he's done it in his past here but for me to see it live on Sunday that was pretty cool Antonio Gibson through week one number 11 in the NFL in yards from scrimmage at 130 Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on how much Antonio Gibson being utilized more in space is about what's now around him i.e. Carson Wentz at quarterback and a healthy Curtis Samuel at receiver one thing you know part of it is 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 really with with Carson's ability and but I think also it's the people around. You know, again, you know, I talked about it, and that's you know we feel really good about the number of playmakers we have, whether it it, it be Curtis Samuels or or be other tight ends or other receivers or other backs. Um, I think that that's one of the things that you know we talked about earlier on uh, Nikki's question about watching, you know, Scott's development. You know, looking at at ways to get these guys the ball, whether it be in space or it be behind the line of scrimmage, you know, in terms of a handoff or, or, or a swing or, or, or something underneath. I mean, that's, you know, trying to create opportunities so that, you know, he can get in space and get in those matchup situations, you know, because he's a big man and, and he's got tremendous athleticism and, you know, big guys don't go down easy. No, they don't. Uh, the commanders list Antonio Gibson as being 6'2 and 220 pounds. He, of course, was a combo running back receiver at Memphis. Uh, Washington took Gibson in the third round of the 2020 NFL Draft. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on how much Antonio Gibson's background as a receiver helps him as a weapon in space. I think that's 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 tremendously important because it's the same thing for JD. You know, JD who started as a wide receiver, and that's why I think he's so uh, so exceptional on on third downs as a third down back because his ability to get out there, run a good route, get himself open, and then be dynamic with the ball in space. And so that's why it's important, you know, that we we, we look for opportunities to, to get these guys in, in areas where they can make plays. 
Yeah, the commanders in running backs Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick and receiver Curtis Samuel have three guys who have played both running back and receiver over their time in college football and the NFL. I earlier in the segment mentioned Scott Turner. Uh, It certainly seems as if the Scott Turner-Carson Wentz relationship is off to a good start. Here was Carson on Wednesday afternoon on how things went with Scott and the win over the Jags. Yeah, it was great. It was great. It was exactly what uh, I probably would have expected. Um, and I thought our conversations beforehand, afterhand, and during were, were fantastic. You know, I thought we were on the same page. And um, you know, I, I obviously didn't didn't play perfect, but the way he trusted me to, to keep coming back to me and, and making plays uh, that meant a lot. And um, for us to get it done meant a lot as well. This is year three for Scott Turner as Washington offensive coordinator. Remember, he is believed to have received a contract extension in the offseason. We in March had multiple reports that the commanders were signing Scott Turner to a multi-year contract extension, making it so that he and Ron Rivera are under contract through the 2024 season. Ron, on Wednesday afternoon, on the growth of Scott as a play caller. Well, you know, that that's pretty much it. And, and, and just kind of watching him go through what, what coordinators do on a daily basis as far as game planning, you know, talking with him on Monday and Tuesdays and just watching him, um, you know, you see the growth, you see the development and understanding of, you know, how to attack people and, you know, how to how to create those um, those matchups that you're looking for. And, um, you know, and then using what you have. And, and, and I think that's been very good. It really has. It's been very strong in terms of that growth and development. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, he's in a great spot, too, because, you know, when, when, when you know, your, your dad's done it all your life and you watched him do it and you grew up watching it, um, I think it helps you. I really do. Well, Scott Turner, for the first time in his three seasons as Washington offensive coordinator, finally seems to have a proper group of offensive players. So there certainly is pressure on him to finally have a Washington offense that's good. He is off to a good start. I mean, the commanders in their win over the Jags went 7 of 10 on third downs. 7 of 10. (laughs) That's excellent. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on if he was surprised at the success that the commander's offense had on Sunday afternoon. I don't know if surprise is the right word. I, I think we, we expected to come out fast like that. I think, you know, the way, the plays we were, we were running, guys were ready for them, obviously. Um, and I think the way we executed, that was kind of the expectation. Um, I think early, I think obviously the lull in the middle is things we got to avoid. But I think just coming together and just being able to execute when it mattered at the end and early, I think just showed a, a little bit of confidence in ourselves uh, that we can trust in each other and be confident going forward. Uh, we just got to execute for, for a whole 60 minutes and not just two quarters. And speaking of that, what about that lull that plagued the commander's offense in the win over the Jags? The commanders scored 28 points in the game. The first 14 points came over the first 19 minutes of the game. The final 14 points came over the final 10 minutes of the game. Carson Wentz on Wednesday afternoon on how the commanders can prevent a lull like the one that happened this past Sunday afternoon from happening again. Uh, I mean, I think you just look at the turnovers, and I think that was really what what killed us and shot our, shot ourselves in the foot. Third downs, we were effective. You know, uh, I thought we moved the ball well, and we just got to hold on to the ball. I got to do better. Obviously, it starts with me there, but uh, those turnovers are the big ones that jump out. There's a couple other things that happen here and there, but that's going to happen. You know, you're going to get beat, you're going to lose some plays, but I think um, we saw enough and, and trusted uh, trust ourselves enough that we can fix those things. But the turnovers are the big ones that that we got to correct. I got to correct personally. 
How about Carson Wentz right there making it a point to point the finger of blame at himself for his two fourth quarter interceptions on Sunday afternoon? Carson, once again, taking ownership of his mistakes, as we saw and heard during his acceptance of the game ball from Ron Rivera in the commander's FedEx Field locker room after the game. Uh, Speaking of that, here was Carson on Wednesday afternoon on what it meant to be given that game ball. Yeah, it meant a lot. Um, you know, those are opportunities. Those are things that uh, I don't take for granted. I don't take lightly. You know, those are moments that definitely stick with you. Um, and so to, to get the first one there uh, with being week one and everything, being, you know, the new guy here and all of that uh, meant a lot. I appreciated it. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed uh, enjoyed that one. That was fun. I bet it was, uh, especially off everything that had happened for Carson Wentz over the previous nine months, you know, his bad performances over the Indianapolis Colts final two games in the 2021 season, two critical losses, and then the Colts in March trading him to the Commanders just one year after trading for him, and then all of the talk about why he was on a third team in three seasons and what he is as an NFL quarterback and, you know, one person after another and one ranking of quarterbacks after another just trashing Carson. What he did this past Sunday afternoon had to have felt good. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on whether what Carson did in the win over the Jags was particularly meaningful given what had happened with him over the previous nine months. Oh yeah, I think so. I think for him, you know, and and, and he should relish in it, um, you know, because it, it was it was big. It was a huge accomplishment for him, you know, coming, uh, um, you know, through the uh, the um, the off season that, that that he had that we've had, and and I think it was gratifying for everybody in that locker room, you know, to, to win to, to be able to move on. Um, you know, there was there was a lot being made of the fact that you know this was uh, the commander's first game as the commanders. So it was, uh, there was, there was a lot to it. Yes, there was. Up next, I'm talking Battle of the Beltways, Nationals, Orioles, uh, the O's won at the Nats 6-2 on Wednesday night. Thanks in part to a throwing error by a Nat that was about as comical of an error as you'll ever see. I'll get to that and a lot more from the game, including another big game for Orioles infielder Gunnar Henderson after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, the 2022 Battle of the Beltways is over, and the winner of this year's battle is the Orioles. Uh, they ended up winning three or four games against the Nationals, including sweeping a two-game series at Nationals Park these last two nights. Tuesday night, a 4-3 Orioles win at the Nats. Wednesday night, a 6-2 Orioles win at the Nats. As the O's, Joe Angel, again, were in the win column. And the Orioles, again, in the win column. Yes, Joe, thank you. The win column. Uh, the Nats now have lost five consecutive games and now are a major league worst of 49 and 94. The O's now are 75 and 67 and are four games behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the American League's third wild card spot. Uh, the Nats blew a lead in each game in this two game series. Tuesday night, the Nats blew a 3 1 third inning lead. Wednesday night, the Nats blew a 2 1 seventh inning lead. The culprit for the Nats on Tuesday night was former Orioles reliever Hunter Harvey. The culprit for the Nats on Wednesday night was reliever Mason Thompson. Uh, Mason Thompson came into the game having allowed just one run in 15 major league innings in the 2022 regular season. Small sample size, yes, but he had been good for the Nats at the major league level this season. But he on Wednesday night in what ended up being a four-run seventh for the O's allowed four runs and recorded just one out. Uh, He faced six batters. He gave up a homer, a triple, two singles, and a walk. Uh, The two big blows were the triple and the homer. Thompson gave up a two-run triple to Gunnar Henderson down the left field line, and he ended up scoring on the triple due to a throwing error by left fielder Cesar Hernandez for a 4-2 Orioles lead. Uh, The throwing error was the following. The ball coming out of Cesar's right hand behind him as he went to throw the ball. Uh, And then Thompson on the very next pitch gave up a solo homer to Jorge Mateo to left field for a 5-2 Orioles lead. But that error by Cesar Hernandez was like a blooper that you'll see on Sports Center. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you used to see on the great weekly television show This Week in Baseball with the great Mel Allen back in the day. I don't want to kill Cesar Hernandez because he, prior to this season, had never played left field in a major league regular season game. So he's playing there right now, basically out of desperation for the Nats. Uh, but yeah, that was a bad error, man. The old, the ball comes out of your hand behind you error. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Cesar Hernandez's error, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange. The ball slipped out of his hand. I haven't seen that in a while, but, you know, it'll, it'll happen. But um, and it hit the ball down there. We were playing pretty much kind of the other way in the gap. So he ran a long ways. He just went to go throw the ball, and it just came out of his hand. Anything to do with Cesar's lack of experience in the left? Nothing at all. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, bad luck. Yeah, I tell you, the Cesar Hernandez error on Wednesday night was another reminder of just how bad the Nats' defense has been this season. Entering Wednesday, the Nats were dead last in the majors by miles in team defensive runs saved for the 2022 regular season, minus 49. The next worst team 
was the San Francisco Giants at minus 34. And for comparison's sake, the O's entering Wednesday were 10th in the majors in team defensive runs saved at plus 33. Defense has been a big reason for the Orioles' success this season. Uh, as for the Nats bullpen, the rest of the game, uh, Andres Machado in the top of the seventh faced three batters and sandwiched two outs around a two-out walk. Paolo Espino in the top of the eighth allowed a run. He gave up a double and two singles. And Kyle Finnegan tossed a perfect top of the ninth. Uh, the Nats lost on Wednesday night despite another good start for Patrick Corbin. Yes, I said another good start for Patrick Corbin. Uh, he was good for a fourth time in five starts. Uh, Corbin allowed one run in six innings. He gave up just four hits, a double, and three singles. He had four strikeouts versus no walks. He did issue a hit by pitch, but he threw a lot of strikes. Uh, 92 pitches, 60 strikes versus just 32 balls. And like I said, Corbin now has been good in four of his last five starts. Uh, his previous four starts, a 2-1 loss at the San Diego Padres on August 21st. Corbin in that game, two runs in five and a third innings. A 3-2 win over the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park on August 28th. Corbin in that game, two runs, one earned in six innings. And he in that game got the win. Uh, he improved to 5-17 and 17 in the 2022 regular season. And Corbin getting the win ended the Nats streak of 43 consecutive games without a starting pitcher earning a win. That was the longest such streak in modern Major League history, i.e. since 1900. A 7-1 win at the National League East leading New York Mets on September 3rd. Corbin in that game, one run in seven innings, five strikeouts versus one walk. A 5-3 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies on September 9th. Corbin in that game, five runs in six and two-thirds innings. So that's the lone recent clunker from Corbin. Although in this game, he was extremely pitch efficient and he threw a ton of strikes, 69 pitches, 54 strikes versus just 15 balls. And then we got what we got from Corbin on Wednesday night. So Patrick Corbin now in the 2022 regular season, 29 starts, ERA of 6-11. Uh, that tells you all that you need to know about how bad he has been this season, that he has been good in four of his last five starts, and yet still his ERA is over six. And keep this in mind too, Corbin last season had a good September. Uh, Corbin for the 2021 regular season had an ERA of 582, worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors. He had this 582 ERA despite pitching well in four of his five starts in September 2021. So yeah, like as for is what Patrick Corbin is doing right now meaningful for what could be coming for Corbin in 2023? Uh, not so fast on that. But that said, Corbin has been better lately. He threw a good number of change-ups on Wednesday night. Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night on Patrick Corbin. Yeah, Patrick was really good tonight, and, and that was the plan. Keep the ball down, use your change-ups, uh, use your sliders on occasion. Don't have to throw many, just, you know, but focus on keeping the ball down. And he did that. I think he came out in the second inning where he started to get the ball up. Um, we talked to him right away about everything. You pound the zone down, down, down. I mean, the ball, has got a lot more movement when the ball is down. And use your change-ups, and um, he was really, really good, you know, the rest of the night. So that's awesome. You know, I mean, um, to see Patrick pitch the way he's been pitching over the last four or five outings, it's definitely encouraging going moving forward. So um, I love what he's doing right now. Uh, not a good game for the Nats offense on Wednesday night. Just two runs, just four hits, just two walks, 0 for 5 
with runners in scoring position. The Nats did hit two home runs. Uh, Luke Voigt on Wednesday night was the Nats starting DH and number four batter. No Nelson Cruz for the Nats on Wednesday night. He has been dealing with a left eye issue. And so we did have Luke Voigt as the Nats DH and Joey Manessis as the Nats first baseman. And that is what I want to see from the Nats for most, if not all, of the rest of this season. Joey Manessis at first base. Let's evaluate him there. Uh, but anyway, Voigt went one for four with a solo homer. Voigt in the Nats, one run fourth, a two-out solo homer to left center field for a 2-1 Nats lead despite having been down in the count at one point. 0-2, uh, the homer winner projected 426 feet per stat cast. And then Riley Adams on Wednesday night as the Nats starting catcher and number nine batter, two for three with a solo homer and a double. Uh, Adams in the Nats, one run third, a two-out solo homer on a line drive to left field to tie the game at one. Adams in the bottom of the eighth, a leadoff ground rule double off the left field warning track on a one-two pitch. Riley Adams has not been good offensively at the major league level this season. Adams came into the game with an OPS plus of just 60 over 112 major league plate appearances in the 2022 regular season. OPS plus is OPS that's adjusted for a player's league at home ballpark. 100 is league average. Below 100 is bad. Riley Adams OPS plus for the 2022 regular season coming into Wednesday was 60, okay? That is woeful, but he had himself a good game on Wednesday night. was nice to see that. Uh, it has been a real struggle for the Nats this season to get like anything offensively at the catching position beyond K-Bert Ruiz. Uh, Riley Adams, Tress Barrera, each guy has struggled as the Nats' number two catcher this season offensively, uh, but Adams did do well on Wednesday night. Uh, as for Wednesday night's 6-2 Orioles win, at the Nats from an O's perspective. Uh, well, another big game for Gunnar Henderson. Uh, he is the Orioles starting third baseman at number eight batter, went two for four with four RBI. Uh, he had a two-run triple, an RBI double, and an RBI ground out. Uh, Henderson in the Orioles, one run second, a one out, bases loaded RBI ground out for a one nothing Orioles lead. Henderson in the Orioles, four run seventh, that two run triple down the left field line, and he ended up scoring on the triple due to that throwing error by Cesar Hernandez. Henderson in the Orioles, one run eighth, a one out RBI double off the right center field wall off Paolo Espino for a 6 2 Orioles lead. Gunnar Henderson now, since being called up from AAA Norfolk on August 31st, has an OPS of 890. Henderson, at the time of being called up to the majors, was the number two prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. Uh, you could say that he is living up to that and then some. O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, I mean, that's really impressive. And, you know, you, you expect young players to, to go through their struggles early. Um, and he's been swinging the bat really well to go. Even, you know, the RBI ground ball early, left on left. Um, you know, he hit a few balls hard tonight. Then the I love that he uses the whole field. So huge for me. And to be able to go down the third baseline in a huge spot. And then really lean on a ball that last at last bat. Um but yeah, I mean, he runs well, he's playing really good defense, and he's taking great at-bats for us. Is that speed kind of an underrated part of his game? Maybe something that hasn't been talked about the enough? Speed? Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, I, I haven't seen him play very much, and so to, to watch him run, it's it's uh, for a guy that physical, that size, it's, that's, uh, it's pretty fun. Yes, it is. Uh, Orioles starting pitcher on Wednesday night was Tyler Wells. Uh, he made his second start since coming off 
the 15-day injured list. Wells allowed two runs in four innings. He only gave up two hits, but they were the solo home runs by Riley Adams and Luke Voigt. Wells had four strikeouts versus no walks, and he threw a lot of strikes. 50 pitches, 33 strikes versus just 17 balls. Uh, Wells was coming off what he did in a 4-1 loss to the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on September 7th. One run in two innings. He was on the 15-day injured list from July 28th to September 7th due to lower left side discomfort. And the idea here is have him build his arm back up pitching at the major league level as opposed to the minor league level with the Orioles in the midst of this pennant race. Uh, Wells, at the time of going on the 15-day IL, had the ERA of 390 over 20 starts in the 2022 regular season as he's making the transition from reliever to starter. And I think overall that transition has gone well. Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Tyler Wells. I thought he looked a little more sharp than, than his first outing. In, in, um, we kind of expected that. Uh, just a couple homers, you know, solo shots, but I thought he, I thought the slider was good. Um, fastball was good. I thought, he, I thought he did a great job. And also doing a great job for the O's on Wednesday night was their bullpen. Uh, the Orioles' bullpen on Wednesday night, great for a second time in as many games in this series. Tuesday night, three Orioles relievers combined for four scoreless and hitless innings with four strikeouts. Wednesday night, five Orioles relievers combined for five scoreless innings, uh, one of the Orioles' top pitching prospects, D.L. Hall, he tossed a perfect bottom of the fifth. Uh, the ex-Nat, Austin Voth, he was used as a reliever in this game, scoreless bottom of the sixth, despite issuing back-to-back two-out walks and issuing a two-out wild pitch. C.N.L. Perez, scoreless bottom of the seventh, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 138. Jake Reed, a scoreless bottom of the eighth. Uh, Jake Reed is a guy who the O's on September 5th claimed off waivers from the Los Angeles Dodgers. This season is his age 29 season, and Brian Baker tossed a perfect bottom of the ninth. Uh, No game for the Nats on Thursday. No game for the O's on Thursday. What is the Orioles' final scheduled off day? of the 2022 regular season. Uh, next up for the Nats, a three-game series against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park this weekend. Next up for the O's, a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays this weekend. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 401, will be a football Friday extravaganza. In-depth preview of the 1-0 Commanders at the 0-1 Detroit Lions Sunday afternoon at 1. We'll have the latest on injuries for the game. We expect to hear from Commanders Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner and Commanders Defensive Coordinator Jack Del Rio via post-practice press conferences on Thursday. I'll welcome on a special guest, Matt Derry, the host of the Locked on Lions podcast, to give us intel on the Lions. And I'll conduct rhyming keys for a Commanders win at the Lions. Also on the show, Goldilocks for College Football Week 3. My previews and picks for Maryland versus SMU, Virginia Tech versus Wofford, and Virginia versus Old Dominion. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Um, and I'm going to mess up his name, but we also watch uh, Benning Poalo, something like that. I apologize to Benning. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com